shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Yes, for the samples, because seasonal allergies are no joke in the state of Tennessee. Or Kentucky, where I spend the summers at Hopetown. I spend most of the summer outdoors and could not function without allergy relief. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You just described my exact state in waking up minus the need for coffee. (laughs) I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can be outside with the kids at camp without my eyes watering like a fountain, and I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. But at Hopetown, a frog could jump into your boat or your bed, (laughs) and Claritin can't really help with that. That's true, but they've got allergies covered. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Hey friends, welcome to the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. I'm Sissy Goff. And I'm David Thomas. And I'm Melissa Trevathan. And we're so glad you joined us for this conversation. Let's dive in. Inspired by deep compassion for others and informed from a Christian perspective, psychiatrist Kurt Thompson shares fresh insights and practical applications for developing more authentic relationships and fully experiencing our deepest longing to be known. Through his workshops, speaking engagements, books, organizational consulting, private clinical practice, and other platforms, he helps people process their longings, grief, identity, purpose, perspective of God and perspective of humanity, inviting them to engage more authentically with their own stories and their relationships. Only then can they feel truly known and connected and live into the meaningful reality they desire to create. We are so honored to have Dr. Kurt Thompson on the podcast to talk about his incredible work and his newest book, The Deepest Place. Kurt, we are so excited to finally get to have a conversation with you. I feel like because of Instagram, we've had a hundred conversations with you, just watching you over time and being so grateful for your work, but it's fun to officially get to do it with you. Well, thanks guys. It's great to be with you this morning. And I, I think as you just mentioned, Sissy, that we're in, uh, we're traveling in similar circles. We just happen to be running through the same intersections at different times. And yes. so it's really great to be together. Yes. Yeah, it's great. Thanks. One of these days in real life, not just virtual. One life. of these days. We sure. hope right for on. that. Yes. Right on. Yeah. Kurt, yeah. we love to start with just hearing some of your story. Tell us about your growing up, your family then and now, and mm. how you found your way to the work that you're mm. currently doing. Mm. Mm. That's a, that's a, that's a great, I mean, it, it's like, cause everything's right there. Right. Mm. I mean, everything, everything yes. is, is right. It's like, it, it's like, could you, could you, 
show us the acorn after we <laughs> have whatever this like oak, whatever thing looks like. Um, well, I grew up, I think for things that were really crucial in my formation, uh, I grew up in a small town of about 800 people in Eastern Ohio. Wow. I uh, was, I grew up in an evangelical Quaker community. Um, that was really formational for me for a lot of reasons. Uh, I was, I'm the youngest of four sons. Um, my parents were in their mid forties when I was born. And so in 1962, when you're mid forties and you're pregnant, uh, it creates a whole lot of chop in the water for all mm. kinds of people around you, including uh, the parents who were pregnant. <laughs> so my brothers were 18, 16 and 11 when I was born. Wow. And that, that's a significant feature, uh, just in terms of, how I, I have like, I have three brothers, but I pretty much grew up as an only kid in many respects. And there were all kinds of things about the dynamics of our family that were both uh, wonderful. And as it turned out, like, you know, as you, as you get older and you wake up to the reality of the world, you discover, oh, there's a lot of things here that are really pretty imperfect, uh, good and imperfect. Um, all three of my brothers have uh, passed from cancer. Mm. Oh, um, I'm so sorry. Uh, so that's been, that was significant. Uh, my dad died when I was 17, uh, at age 62. My mom died when I was in my forties at age 86. Mm. Um, I, um, I, I, I feel like Jesus has come to find me, you know, like, uh, he finds in, in John nine, he finds the blind dude on the side of the road and he heals him. And then kind of like the, the blind guy's life all kind of goes to crap. <laughs> you're like, Oh, thanks for the favor. And, um, and, and then, and Jesus then comes back around to find him again mm -hmm. later when he heard that they'd put him out of the community. And I, my, I, I feel like my life has been a series of Jesus coming back around to find me at significant mm -hmm. periods of time. And so I think that he found me when I was 13 at a, uh, at a, at a camp in West Virginia. Um, in a really powerful way, my spiritual director uh, would would one day say that he believed that I had experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, of course, as a Quaker kid, that's a little odd to kind of get. That's not kind of how we talk about things. Um, but I have every reason to believe that my director uh, was correct when he said that. And then um, I went off to uh, a, a small evangelical undergraduate program called Malone, now University of Malone College. I uh, uh, ended up in medical school after that, uh, probably against my better judgment at the time. And that's a whole story in and of itself. But because I, I wasn't really, I mean, once I got there, I wasn't really sure why I was there. It was pretty miserable for the better part of the first two and a half years of being in med school and didn't even consider that psychi psychiatry wasn't even on my radar. Despite the fact that looking back on it, it would be easy to consider that it could have been, given my uh, almost um, ruminative and obsessive curiosity about why human beings do what we do. Mm. And so when psychiatry came along, uh, I, I thought that was another way in which Jesus found me. Like I tell people, I don't think I found psychiatry. I think it found me. And um, that then led to uh, residency training, which took me from Ohio. I, I got married when I was in my third year. And that's been another, my wife, Phyllis, of 37 years, um, has been a crucially formative force in my life, as has been the rearing of our two kids who are now 33 and 30. And uh, those three people have been, you know, the kind of, I mean, the, maybe, maybe. <laughs> 
the Holy Trinity mm-hmm. in real life for me um, over the last nearly you know four years. Um, and then uh, in again, the story about psychiatry is one I'm, I'm I'm you know if we had more time to tell in, in more detail, it was it's I'm it's very humbling. But then about twenty years ago, when I uh, when when before Dan Siegel was Dan Siegel, and 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 I you know he and I ran into I met him. And started to do some collaborative work together when he was early in the game and in the work that he was doing, which was just really it was it was a significant pivot for me in the work with Sakai. I'd been I'd been practicing for about fifteen years when that when we had our first encounter. Quite, I might call it providentially. Mm. And so now I I mean I I would say I the last twenty years uh, practicing general psychiatry and trying to do this work of I think we you know the practice we talk about helping people tell their stories more truly and uh, you know this notion of integration this notion of wholeness this notion of imagining that what we're doing is really trying to create beauty and we're not just trying to fix problems Um, and it and and the the whole notion of how we bring together. Uh, the understanding of the mechanics of the mind, which in many respects is what interpersonal neurobiology is about, uh, sitting on the hard deck of a Christian anthropology, a biblical narrative, spirit, body of Jesus, kind of all working together, has has put me in this position of uh, just being been very humbling. I, I can't believe I get paid to do what I do. Um, it's been uh, extraordinarily humbling to walk with people who are just working their tails off. Mm. working their tails off yeah. in some really, in really, really hard spaces. Mm. And uh, it's very humbling to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really, really grateful. I, you know, never in a million years would I have predicted five years ago, let alone 10 or 15 years ago that I would be here in this chair, having a conversation with you guys this mm. morning. And so it's all been, uh, it's all been really lovely. I, I will say this, that, um, I have, uh, there's, there, there's a great deal in life, uh, for which I have great joy all at the same time, recognizing that I am a professional sinner. Like mm. I'm like really good at it. Like I'm, <laughs> like I'm, um, and so, uh, I, I, to, you know, for, for me to be where I am in many respects is because of the number of friendships, uh, that I have with people who have been willing to stay the course with me. It's been a great grace. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have this group of guys that I meet with every Tuesday morning early for prayer and confession. Uh, we've been meeting for over 25 years. Wow. I, I say between him, between them and my spiritual director, you know, without these folks, I'm a dead man. Mm. And so anyway, that's uh, kind of long winded, but that's. Mm. Yeah. So. Oh, wait, wait, wait. There's one more thing please. I would say. I, I have, I have the, the deep privilege of working with a, just a, a world-class group of clinicians here at this practice mm. for a small group of about eight of us. Whatever ends up in my head ends up outside of my skin in this in these offices. Mm. And anything that I've written or that you know comes into the world uh, that's helpful for anyone um, is because of the work that I get to do with these other clinicians that are here and. Um, so again, it's just, I just have a, a, an infinite list of things for which to be grateful. Mm. Well, all of those answers, last one included, feel very reflective of what we would know about you already without having met you in person. And um, mm. 
don't feel like a surprise. And we sure get being surrounded by a great group of clinicians and, um, and the words, great grace, all of it seems. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. And, and speaking of writing, you have authored quite a few books that we really love and respect. And well, which would include the anatomy of the soul, the soul of shame, the soul of desire, just to name a few. Your newest mm. book is called The Deepest Place, Suffering and the Formation of Hope, which we love. Will you first talk a little bit about how you define suffering and hope for us? Yeah, you know, um, it's it's funny. This is a, this is a question that is is a completely reasonable question, and 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 the moment that it comes to me, I'm like, I I you know, like I think that was Job's job. I mean, I don't, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I uh, I don't. Uh, I mean, there are other people who can uh, define it. You know, you you say, oh, you just look at their life, and they say, oh, they're a walking definition of suffering. Um, and some of the people, I mean, the people that you work with, the people that we work with, like, oh, it's John and it's Sarah. That's a working definition. I mean, we, if, if you want to be technical about it, we might say that the way that we tend to think about it in general is that suffering is pain over time. Mm. And in that pain over time, it also includes my response to that pain over time. So, uh, and, and there are lots of things that we could say about this uh that you know we say that part of how it is that humans are the only animals that suffer in the way that we do has a lot to do with uh our ability to live in a time structure in like no other animal does and so you know you it, it's not just that i am in pain but it is that i'm able to imagine that i could still be in pain an hour a day a year 10 years from now that makes it challenging for me. And, you know, I, I address this a bit in the book, this whole notion of the, you know, the, the temporal domain of integration, this notion of what we do with time um, is a big part of how suffering happens, uh, not just because of the pain, but it, it's how we then respond to this. But an additional piece of that has to do with my, um, that I imagine moving into the future with this pain not stopping. And I uh, imagine that I am alone with this pain. So another element of suffering, as, as I see it, when we, again, when we talk about the mechanics of the mind, when we talk about interpersonal neurobiology and how, human, how humans actually do what they do, no small part of what suffering is about has to do with the story that I tell about the future with me and the pain that I carry. And whether or not I sense that I am completely alone with my pain or is someone with me in that. And I think the withness, if you will, is, is the primary element because when we are, uh, you know, God and then Jesus says more than, like, more than anything else that he does, he says, like, I'm with you. I am with you. I am with you. And I hear that and I think, yeah, you're with me, kind of like the chair is with me in the office. You know, like I happen to know that you happen to be around. Uh, but when God says this, I think God is also um, wanting a partner. He wants a partner who's willing to actually do the work of paying attention to God's presence. Uh, God's not just uh, going to force his withness upon me. He's wanting real partners. He wants real adult, like professional human beings 
Right. So I, I you know, this this whole idea and, and, the, and the book really got solidified for me, uh, particularly uh, a while back when one of our patients who's in one of our confessional communities and who has been a patient of mine now for about 20 plus years and who's been doing really hard work the entire time. You know, there was yet one more moment in which, you know, and this, and this is a person who's now has aging parents. And, you know, we, we tend to think this is, this is just an example of this. We, we tend to think sometimes that, um, or at least I can think that, oh, I'll just, I, yeah, I just figure that like as people age, and I mean like seriously age, I mean, we're all aging, but I mean, you know, people who are in their like 80s, 90s, they're going to become old enough that their frailty will keep them from behaving badly. And the reality is that's just not true. There are plenty of people who are in their 80s and 90s, and they find ways to still behave really badly in the world. <laughs> I sure do in my 50s. Like, <laughs> and, you're, and you're like, holy cow, like how are you like 87 years old and still like able to like hurt people's feelings mm -hmm. in your family mm -hmm. like you've been doing for 60 years? Mm -hmm. And... You know, this this patient, you know, they're coming by it honestly that they're in a family system that they can't just leave because they're caring for parents and so forth and so on. But every now and then, you know, another grenade just gets thrown into the room. Mm. And uh, as much work as this person has done and done like really important work where in which it doesn't have the same effect as it used to do by far. But, there, you know, we all know that we can just be at the right place at the wrong time. And the grenade goes off and I forgot to put on my Kevlar. Sure. that day and uh and so in her word in 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 the in our community was she said why is it that it's been i've been at this for 25 years and this is still a problem why am i why why have i not gotten this right yet why does this still happen what and so forth and this sense that you know there is a sense in which if we're going to walk toward the light if we're going to do the work of following the king uh, we're going to suffer and not just because of what other people do, but because we are going to have, there will be, I mean, there will be systems that will want us to continue to abide by their rules. There will be old, ancient wounds that we have worked long and hard toward healing. And, and that healing has been real and that healing has been durable. And yet those networks don't go away. And the temptation will be to say, why is this, why, after 25 years, we're like, why is this, why is this still an issue? And that whole sense of uh, suffering, like carrying the sufferings of Jesus, like living them out by virtue of running to the light and doing the good work. I mean, I think it is, is part of what really pushed me into saying, like, we're going to, we're going to write the book. We're, mm. um, I, I think is a way to honor the patients that I have worked with who continue to suffer in no small part because they are doing the work, not because they haven't, not because they're weak or they're lazy or because they're, you know, stupid or whatever, but because like the Bible's very serious about this. The, the, the writer, the Hebrew writers were, were very serious. The new Testament writers were very serious about this. And the Christian story is the only one that takes uh, suffering seriously enough such that we would say God is even going to use it in the redemptive process while redeeming the very notion of it at the same time. Mm. And that's hard for us to get around, get our heads around. Cause we like, we live in a world where suffering is just seen like it, it just, it's only bad. There, there, there's no, there's no way, there's no vision. 
for being curious about what is God doing in this suffering. Of course, there will be elements of suffering that we want to do everything we can. COVID, right? We're going to do what we can find a vaccine. Uh, you're suffering because you fractured your femur. Gosh, we actually have surgeons who can help you with that. That's a good thing. All these things are good. And at the same time, we recognize that there are certain things like, you know, when my when my brothers are dying from cancer, like they're just not going to stop. Mm. Um, and and there will be other things that will happen. Uh, you know, my wife and I were recently at a gathering. Family gathering in which, you know, um, we're experiencing family that find ways to behave that are just really. And you're like, wow. That's painful. It, there's no two ways about it. There's a, and, and what you want to do, you want to be a person of loving kindness. You want to be a person in, in, in the middle of behavior that is that, that has me wanting to do things that my Quaker grandmother would not be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. Right. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. David, did you get your taxes finished? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> what are you eating? Okay, I am obsessed with these new Chipotle barbecue kettle chips. Will you share? I would have, but they are all gone. Where'd you get them? Thrive Market. Uh, how much do we love Thrive Market? I could record an entire podcast about that topic. You know who else loves Thrive Market? Patches. She loves the surf and turf meaty littles from the Honest Kitchen. I love that Patches has a surf and turf situation going on. <laughs> from pets to kids to grown-ups, everyone can find things they love at Thrive. Thrive Market is my go-to for all my grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstep is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and I can use their on-site filters to suit my lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with a few clicks. And as a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily and always has some of my favorite brands. David, how much did you save on your last order? I saved $32. I saved over $12.67. How much did Patches save? <laughs> a lot. She's ordering more than I am. You got me hooked on ordering frozen foods. I got salmon, bacon, and pork this month. Something else I love is when you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. I love that too. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash RBG for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash RBG. Thrivemarket.com slash RBG. 
Kurt, along those lines, what advice would you give to someone who feels overwhelmed by their suffering and, and struggles to find hope? Well, you know, it's, uh, as our friends at the Bible Project like to say, um, everything you need to know about human beings, you can, you, you can get by reading the first six pages of the Bible. Mm. Like, it's got, it's got everything. Like, you don't need to read, I mean, you know, it, it tweaks things here and there, but like all the, all the big things about what it means to be human is there. And, and one of the things that we read about is that evil is, is uh, intent upon using isolation as a primary feature of, like, that's the context in which it really wants to do its work and does its work well. And so uh, I, I think, you know, most people who, this, this gets to this question of isolation and how many of us are, uh, many of us genuinely re- wrestle. I mean, I, I have parts of me that suffer. And when they are suffering, I can, I can, I can guarantee you that the part of me that is suffering is, is, is in that space in no small part, because I feel like I'm by myself with it. And this is where, uh, we would say to the person who feels overwhelmed, I would want to say, well, who, who are the people, uh, by whom you are being regularly, you know, seen, soothed, safe, secure, who are the people uh, in whose presence you will uh, you feel comfortable and confident talking about your experience repeatedly. All right, this will be something else. Like, well, I I've already told you my story. You already know the facts. You're like, why? Well, like, what good would it do for me to continue to tell you this? And so I now that I've told you, I'm going to retreat into the privacy of my own mind, and I'm with my pain, and there and therein I lie, and, I, and the, therefore the only way out I see is is for my pain to be completely removed. Um, because I don't recognize that the very process of continuing to name my pain in the presence of others who faithfully say to me, we want to continue to hear about your pain as long as your pain's in the room. Like, we're not leaving. And, you know, you, you we wonder, like, why are there 150 psalms? Like, why, like, couldn't they just do it, like, in five? Okay, maybe ten. Right. Why are there so many psalms of lament? Like, you know, pick your top three. No, there, there is this sense in which the Hebrews really believed that they served a God who could take it and who expected to continue to take it over and over. And, you know, when you read the Bible, like God, it, it appears that in God's economy of transforming the world, uh, he's taking a long time to do it, mm. and it may be because there's so uh, there's so much work that he takes so seriously within and about us that needs to get done, which is why it takes so long. And he wants real partnerships. And so even when we are suffering, it's it's not to imagine that you know God thinks that this is a good idea. Like I'm, I'm really glad that you're suffering, but this notion that, that suffering is what it means to live in the real world in the world that actually is, not some Disney World world. When, when someone is in that space where they feel overwhelmed, I would say that it is the overwhelm that I would want to be carried, that I would want to be touched, that I would want them, I would want to know who are the three people who are going to come and be, unlike Job's friends, they're going to come and be present with you and with you and be curious with you without giving you answers for why this is happening. 
Like, there's no answer to that question. Hmm. It's a matter of this is really hard and I'm not leaving the room. And we will continue to do what we can do. We will see physicians. We will pray. We will do healing prayer. We will do psychotherapy. We will do, or we will, we will do all the things, and we're not leaving the room. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, this is this is in many respects. This is why Trinitarian theology is one of just one of the reasons why it's such a big deal. Mm. This notion that when Jesus, like you know, when Jesus goes in in Luke in Luke twenty four, like when he's the Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Like you figure, like why doesn't Jesus say, "Hey, y'all." I forgive you because you don't know what you're doing. He's asking for help. Mm. Like do this. You do this while I'm catching up because mm. I'm just having to like focus on getting through the whole crucifixion thing. <laughs> yes. And that we are, that we serve a God who knows, and again, the first page of the Bible, let us make mankind to live like we live. We're going to be our image bearers, which means we, we must seriously take into consideration that I don't know who I am if you're not in the room. I can, I can only be an image bearer if it's a we that's doing this together. And consequently, when I am in pain, all the more so do I need you in the room. And you need me in the room. Which is a great reminder of how God does that with us and what it looks yeah. like for him to be in yeah. our suffering and for us yeah. to have communities, like you said. Say, will you say it again? Yeah. Safe, secure, seen, soothed? Yeah, seen, mm-hmm. soothed, safe, and secure. These are these are words from Dan and Tina Payne Bryson. And, yes. um, but I, I also want to say that this is not unlike the work that you guys do, right? This is, I mean, this is fundamental. I mean, there's a sense in which when a toddler is not getting what the toddler wants, there is going to be a, you know, there is going to be a 60 to, you know, three minute, 60 second to three minute, like where the toddler's suffering. Like you, if you just watch the, how many, when you watch toddlers like losing their mind or teenagers, you know, well, whatever, right? There's a certain like suffering in the moment because they, 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 how long am I going to be in this? Mm. And what is a parent doing? A parent is hovering, right? This is another thing, right? The, 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 oh gosh, the, the Genesis one, two, right? Mm. The verse that like, it, it's where everything starts and everything, right? It got, God is a God who hovers. Mm. Spirit and word. He hovers. He doesn't go to war with the creation. He doesn't emerge out of the chaos like the Egyptians God did. He doesn't go to war with the creation like the Babylonians did. He hovers. And then he brings order and purpose. And this is what parents do. And this is what we do with our friends. But we're doing it by being present. Right. Over and over and over. Even when you can't pay attention to me being with you, mm. I'm going to be with you. Yeah. Like a kid with colic. Right. I'm sorry. I, I go on. Like, you get, like the parents who think that they're not doing a thing for the kid with God because you try to comfort the child. And the child doesn't, doesn't respond. They just keep crying. Mm. And yet and you say, like, well, I'm not doing anything. And that's actually not the proper co- comparison. The, the, the proper comparison would be what would it be like for that child's brain if you're not doing that? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Sissy, we just spoke in town last night and reminded the parents in the room about putting on their oxygen mask first. That great reminder that flight attendants give parents when they board flights. With summer rolling around and kids home more hours of the week than ever, that reminder feels so important. A hilarious dad who works from home told me last night at the book table that when school ends, sometimes his sanity does as well. (laughs) (laughs) You know who could help that dad out? 
our friends at Wendy. Wendy is here to help parents relieve the stress in finding high quality sitters when they need them. I am talking daily with parents who are worried about summer childcare logistics. Wendy offers a nanny service where they match college students with families for the summer. We all love summer and your kids especially love summer, but we lose the consistent schedule of kids in school. This creates all kinds of problems. Thankfully, there is a solution to this problem. Wendy, that's W-Y-N-D-Y, is an app that connects families to college student nannies literally in minutes. These college student nannies are background checked, interviewed, and honestly, just awesome. Wendy has been around for seven years. Over 20,000 families have used Wendy to complete more than 140,000 jobs. There are hundreds of qualified college student nannies on Wendy ready to work near you. Families have greater child care needs in the summer and college students are looking for jobs. Wendy is here to match families to these college nannies. Everybody wins. This could be part-time or full-time. Wendy has a match for your needs. All you have to do is go to wendy.com slash rbg to start a search for a nanny. And as a special offer, they are going to knock $50 off your search if you go through that link. Wendy provides top-notch service, but at a fraction of the cost of a traditional nanny agency and no ongoing fees. Here's how it works. Go to wendy.com slash rbg to start your search. A Wendy concierge will find great matches for your job and set up interviews for you. You choose the one you like. Get started now because there are a lot of parents out there looking for nannies for the summer. Go to wyndy.com slash rbg. Well, and that makes me think, I mean, this is not on our grid at all, but I would say, Kurt, what, I mean, sitting here thinking about the parents listening as you Mm -hmm. are talking about suffering that feel like, yeah, whether it's a colicky child or whether it's a 14 year old that is suffering because they're 14. And then of course I'm suffering alongside them, the watching, what hope would you give to the parent that feels like they're in the middle of this stretch that, that they're not seeing the redemption yet? Right. Well, this is why the subtitle of the book is the formation of hope. Mm. We, I think, I, I mean, I'll, I'll speak for myself. There is this sense in which whenever we talk about hope, we, we talk about it as if this thing that like you flip a coin and maybe you get it, maybe you don't, you know, maybe you hope that you have it. You hope that you are hopeful. It doesn't feel like it's something that it, it can feel capricious at times, you know, like, oh, I, I uh, but the notion that you can actually, that you have agency to form this uh, and that the way that it actually happens is right there in the third verse of Romans five. Like it is this suffering, perseverance, character, hope, because again, this gets back to uh, this notion that of, of how we as human beings in particular tell time. Hope is uh, a function of future state in my mind. And as we like to say, that our futures are things that we remember. What I anticipate is what I've paid attention to and encoded as memory. And that becomes the thing out of which I anticipate either a hopeless or a hopeful future. And so if I'm in the middle of a painful circumstance and I'm having the experience of someone being with me who's helping me regulate my emotional distress, You know, when I'm two, 
uh, it's not as easy for the parent after the parent has helped that child navigate that, you know, you may have milk in your blue cup or your red cup, but you may not have juice moment. <laughs> and then when you've helped the, you know, that's a little, you know, at some point like that becomes in, like a, a version of the standard of you're going to be present with you while you hold the line while you, because there are certain things that you know that this child can do and this child can tolerate this, but they're going to have to learn how to do that. And then when they're 14, you're going to do the same thing. The stakes will be higher. And when they're 20, the stakes will be higher and so forth. But you're doing this, this whole thing. But, but at some point you will actually start to have conversations with your children about what happened. Not when they're two, not when they're six, but you'll start to have these conversations when they're 10, maybe a little younger. And you get kids that are like able to like talk about what's actually happening between you, my child, and me, your dad or your mom. And the older they get, the more able we are to talk, to offer reflection on what, what happened here. And one of the things that we're offering to them is like, oh, what, what was that like for you to have that experience yes. last week? What was that like? And then they start to talk about it and they discover, they become aware that the hard work that they've done in the middle of a hard place begins to create with them the capacity to anticipate a future, not in which hard things won't happen, but one in which when hard things happen, because I'm in the presence of others who are with me, Mm. I will be okay when I'm not okay. Mm. And that is what hope is. Hope is this anticipated future in which I will not have no problems, but in which when those problems come, I will know that someone's coming for me. Mm-hmm. Someone is with me. This is this is Genesis three all over again, right? For third page of the Bible. <laughs> this is and, and this is what we do as parents. This is what we do. This is what Jesus does, right? Well, a God who comes for us, and it it takes practice. It takes time. It takes effort. And so, for the parents that we're talking with, our audience this morning, I would want those parents to have people like you all to whom they're talking, but also friends who are with them, other parents who are saying, this is hard, we're gonna do this. Because when the parents are upset about their kids, it's not the kids that they're after re- that they're actually worried about, right? It's themselves, right? We say all anxiety is ultimately about, my anxiety is always ultimately about me. It's not only about me. It might be about my kids, but it's really ultimately about me because what I'm really afraid of is that my kid's not going to get it. Something's going to go horribly wrong and that's going to end badly. And then what will that be like for me? Hmm. But unless I'm actually doing the work of paying attention to how this story is about me, the parent, and not just about my kid, uh, I will be tempted to... I need my kid to be okay as a way for me to be okay. Mm. And then my kid doesn't end up doing the work my kid needs to do because they're too busy doing my work. Mm. And so when those parents have other parents who are, who are being curious with us about what it's like for us to be afraid, what it's like for me to feel like I just haven't done my job as a dad and I'm ashamed because my kid's in this space and I can't, I mean, our, our son, Nathan, this is, this is, I mean, he, he, talks about this publicly now, our son who's 30, back in 2020, uh, and he's, he's, in a, he's, a, in a, he's a PhD candidate now, and um, 
but he just started this PhD program uh, on the West Coast. And, you know, he moved to L.A. and within about three or four weeks, just all the wheels came off. And Phyllis and I were, uh, uh, you know, we, we got a call and we were talking and we figured, well, we're going to go out to fly out to California for a couple of days and kind of check things out. Because this is a guy who just lived a radiant life and been successful at everything he's done. And we get there and like we stayed seven weeks. Mm. And you talk about angry and powerless and terrified. I've never been more frightened in my life. Mm. I mean, there's, you know, there, there, there were, there were just days where you're, you're not, you don't know if he's going to be alive in the morning. Mm. And hope was in the people of God coming out of the woodwork for us. It was not this thing that I was just going to call on and be okay with. It was going to have to be me yelling and screaming and weeping with my friends to talk about, here we are, a social worker and a psychiatrist and we can't get this train stopped. And, uh, and so, you know, for hope to be formed does not mean that I feel hopeful all the time. It's like when I'm, when I'm forming, when, when, when athletes are getting into shape, a lot of the times when they're getting into shape, they're not feeling like they're in shape because they're pushing the limits and they're suffering and they're not feeling very in shape. They're feeling exhausted. And that's how getting in shape is formed. <laughs> and this is how hope is formed. And we, I think we tend to think that, Oh, hope being formed is going to be a thing that we mean. It's like, I'm always only hopeful. And, you know, You know, they say that uh, we like to say that um, the best pitchers in major leagues, the best pitchers are not the ones who never let any runners on base. They're the pitchers who make mistakes and then are good at getting themselves out of a jam. Hmm. Right. They're, they're, they're like they're so they're not just, you know, perennially hopeful in their work. They they have to double down and they're going to have to count on their infielders, and their outfielders to do the job and, they, and so forth. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Well, fat. Yeah, me too. Me too. Glad to talk about baseball because we like to talk about tacos. So it's fun to talk about the sillier things a little <laughs> too in is. the midst of suffering. We need both. I was thinking as you were telling that story, Kurt, just the way you and your wife were living into everything you talk about in the deepest place. Mm. Your new book, you were living into the formation of hope yes. through suffering. And so thank you for sharing that. Mm. Thank you for sharing so much wisdom, so mm. much truth um, with us in this time. I can't mm. tell you how grateful we are Yes, that you would be with us in this time, in this way. I, I tell people, um, well, you, you know, by the way, Sissy, I, I just received your book. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah, so, 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 thank, so thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you for that. And um, it, any, any, I, I'm just, uh, I smiled because, I, you know, I tell people routinely that, um, to any degree that our children are, um, you know, uh, reasonable citizens in the world, it's because of their mother, <laughs> um, without, without question. And our, uh, my wife, Phyllis is a, 
child development specialist and a social worker mm-hmm. in. Um, and so I, I'm just so deeply grateful for you, both of your, your works with, you know, the, across the spectrum mm-hmm. of child development and parenting, because I, <laughs> I don't, I, I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just so glad that my, my children had my wife as a mother <laughs> because I mean, I, they would be, I don't know what, dead or in jail I, if, <laughs> if, I, if, if I'd been the one who was raising them. So I'm just so deeply grateful for the chance for us to, to be together and grateful for your work. You know, we've been doing this parenting thing for a little more than 10,000 years. And, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no manual, there's no, we all know that. And yet it's really helpful when people who have wisely uh, trod that course um, offer that wisdom to people. And I'm just really grateful for what you both are doing in that regard. Right Great. back at you. Yes. Thank you. We are honored to have spent this time with yes, you. Yes, we are. It's a pleasure. If you are enjoying the Raising Boys and Girls podcast, click follow on your podcast listening app to subscribe and not miss an episode. Join us next time for another episode where we'll bring you help and hope on your journey of raising boys and girls. 